0: You're listening to WJMSradio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, welcome. Here it is Monday. That means it's time for Fired Up. Time for us to get into the political machine here in the U.S. Hi, everybody. This is Steve. I host the show each week right here on WJMSradio.com. And we've got a packed show for you again today. I want to spend the initial point and start it off, as always, with our COVID update. We're currently sitting at 32.1 million cases of the disease in the United States. Uh, 571,000 people have uh, died from the disease, and we're up to 227.7 million vaccines, uh, including both uh, two-dose and one-dose vaccinations here in the country. So, on that note, it should be noted that uh, vice- Pre- I'm sorry, President Biden had uh, set a goal for his first 100 days initially of getting hundred million uh, vaccinations into arms here in America. Uh, he achieved that in, in uh, about 70 some odd days, and then he doubled down and said, we're going to have 200 million by the end of the first 100 days of his presidency. Well, he's already surpassed that number and he still has, you know, about five or six days left to go to that hundred day milestone. So we're making great progress. Uh, We're doing the things that we need to do and uh, hopefully we continue that. So, you know, continue wearing your mask and distancing and washing your hands and doing all of the things we're being advised to do. So that, that's still continuing positive news, although it's still a pandemic, it's still out there. And with the variants that are now popping up around the country in many places, uh, it, it raises concerns about whether uh, the, the pandemic is going to uh, resurge and here in this country. In addition, uh, we are told, uh, according to the news, that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine will be uh, reauthorized for distribution, along with some new guidelines in terms of monitoring and patient selection uh, in light of the concerns that were raised about a, a handful of people that develop blood clots uh, from the J and J vaccine. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on the progress on that, and we'll uh, update you as we go through the weeks here on the show. So with that being said, wanted to get started. and, you know, we've been talking as we ramped up, you know, last year in 2020 toward the presidential election and, and you know over the, the course of the first year of this show. We've been talking about the efforts underway at voter suppression and, you know, the, the efforts to limit, you know, various elements of how voting in this country is conducted. And uh, that has not ended just because the election uh, was held in November and the results uh, certified and, you know, Joe Biden is now president of the United States. So even though, as I said, the election may be over and the you know, Biden administration is now nearing 200 days in office, uh, the battles between the Democrats and the Republicans over voting rights in this country uh, is, is continuing and is heating up in many states. Uh, There's an article that came out on the 20th from Politico uh, written by Liz Crampton and the, the headline is, uh, Inside the Democratic Strategy to Expand Voting Rights State by State. Uh, the, the byline is, While America is focused on the flood of GOP voter restrictions, Democrats in many states have been orchestrating an expansion of voting rights. Uh, and it, the article, I'll, I'll read some portions of it for you. Uh, and again, this is from politico.com. You can find it on their website. Uh, Who can vote in the next election and how easily will depend on where Americans live more than at any point in recent decades. Red and blue states are on opposite tracks in shaping the electoral process. As Republicans pass some of the most restrictive voting laws of modern times, Democrats are ramping up strategies to expand voting rights by passing bill after bill to make it easier for more Americans to access the ballot box. You know, and it it goes on to talk about Democrat led states like New York, New Jersey and Virginia uh, that have been chipping away at electoral guardrails, you know, such as approving automatic voter registrations and other measures designed to increase turnout at the same time, Georgia, I'm sorry, GOP, Helm, Georgia, Florida, and Texas are trying to make voting harder under the guise of voter integrity. The article goes on to state, The fracture between red states limiting voting access and blue states expanding it may deepen the partisan divide in an already divided nation. The actions are also likely to end up in the courts, leading to potentially years of debate over what is and what is not constitutional. Recent years have been pivotal for Democrats' hold on state houses as they gained back seats lost long ago, shifting power in enough places that the party was free to pursue voting rights, expansions, and progressive causes like criminal justice and police reforms. While Republicans still control 61 legislative chambers and 30 legislatures, a majority, Democrats gained ground in 2018 by taking over six state legislative chambers after getting walloped in the midterm elections in former President Barack Obama's second term and the 2020 election maintained the status quo and stepping out of the article for a second you know it's it's clear that the divide in, in our country that has been fueled by so many factors over the last uh, you know, five, six, eight years, uh, isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon uh, without some major efforts by both sides and the people in the middle. Um, you know The article continues, By the end of March, nine bills with expansive voting p- provisions had been signed into law in the U.S. during state legislative sessions, and at least 112 bills were still moving in 31 states, according to an analysis from the Brennan Center for Justice, which is tracking the issue. While the odds of passage vary considerably depending upon political climate, there are far more expansive voting bills pending in legislatures than restrictive ones. Lawmakers have introduced 843 bills with expansive provisions in 47 states, compared with 361 bills with restrictive provisions in the same number of states. So battle lines are are drawn and, you know, <laughs> shots are being fired. Um, to be sure, back to the article, to be sure, not all Republican legislatures are opposed to expanding voting access. In Kentucky, Democratic Governor Andy Beshear signed a sweeping electoral reform law passed by the Republican-controlled legislature, that broadens early and absentee voting and establishes recount procedures. This is also a part of uh, what was contained in the Georgia bill. Uh, Many people, you know, overlooked the fact that it actually did have some expansions for early voting and for hours of voting and other things. And some of the elements of that bill were misrepresented, uh, like, you know, especially by the media. Like the uh, no food or water for people waiting in line, and they left out the part that says, you know, up to 150 feet from the polling place. Beyond that, it's okay to do that. So, you know, the, the bottom line here is, you know, there, there are changes coming, um, there are battles being fought. From our standpoint as the electorate, you know we need to realize that we cannot be just bystanders in this process while you know the the state houses and the federal legislators and and all of these people fight it out quote on our behalf close quote so called um, and and you know, and allow all of this to go forward unchallenged. We need to make sure that we are in the game that our voice is. Part of the voices that are speaking up about these issues, whether whichever side you're on, um, you know, the the idea of, you know, not hearing what the people who elected them to office are saying uh, remains unacceptable. As you know, on this show, we are very big on making sure that we have an active role in communicating with our elected officials, that that is one of our standing calls to action. Uh, here on Fired Up, each and every week. And to be clear, not all parts of, you know, many of these bills introduced by the Republican Party in these states uh, are, are aimed at restricting voting access. Uh, many of them, as I just mentioned in, in the Georgia bill, many of them have included expansions in some areas, such as the number of days for early voting and expanded hours and other uh, allowances uh, to help people, you know, get to the polls and, and have the opportunity in, as, as needed to cast their ballot. You know, and, you know, the article talks about Virginia uh, becoming the first state to enact its own version of a Voting Rights Act when Democratic Governor Ralph Northam signed a sweeping law that requires all elections administrators to receive public feedback or approval from the state's attorney general, before making changes like moving voting precincts or elections registrar's offices. The legislation also allows voters to sue over voter suppression and prohibits any racial discrimination or intimidation related to voting. So, you know, there, there's a lot to unpack with where these voting laws are going. Um, you know, not everything in some of these, these uh, voter law changes is, is negative there are positive aspects to it uh, however you know as always you've got to dig in and find out the details don't just go by what you hear uh, out of the media outlets you know and including mine you know I I encourage you to go and, and fact-check what I bring to you and if you find discrepancies please bring them back to to our attention here on fired up so that we can correct the record um, you know, it's it's clear that the the media and you know news sources and and social media are heavily spinning you know things on both sides of the spectrum you know, to the favor of their you know, respective political parties. But it's it's our duty to make sure that we dig in, that we dig deeper, dig wider, and find the facts and find the truth So that we're making informed decisions, Uh, that just is all part of what our role has to be—to be an informed voter. All right. So, in in line with that, uh, we have to go and and you know, as we we talk about the positive, we've also got to make sure that we're covering things that are are less positive. In related news. Uh, Texas Republicans, and this comes out of Vanity Fair, an article that was published on April 25th, Texas Republicans are taking voter suppression to the next level. And, you know, Republicans in the Texas legislature are attempting to dismantle provisions that helped bring about record turnout in urban areas last November through bills that would reportedly make Texas which right before the presidential election was deemed, quote, the state with the most restrictive voting process, close quote, an even more challenging place to cast a vote. Certain restrictions would only apply to counties with a population exceeding one million, according to the New York Times, and some aspects of the legislation directly target Harris County, the state's biggest and, and a Democratic stronghold. The measures are among GOP-backed attempts in several states, as we've mentioned, to restrict voting access in democratic leaning cities and densely populated areas such as Atlanta and Arizona's Maricopa County, efforts that have are, I'm sorry, efforts that have having far less of an impact on voting in rural areas that tend to lean Republican, notes the New York Times. For example, it cites on the single day that Harris County, where Houston is located, implemented 24-hour voting. More than 10,000 people reportedly showed up at the peak nighttime hours. Along with a ban on 24-hour voting, the two bills include a ban on drive-through voting, another flexible option introduced to residents this past election. You know, And it, it's clear that the Republicans uh, have been taking stock of, you know, what cost them elections in, in, around the country and have been working legislation out to address those and to, quote, close those loopholes, close quote. Uh, and, you know, it, it's clear. Uh, Sherilyn Hill, who is the president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, said it's about race uh, in a tweet in response to the New York Times story. And every time we use another descriptor, you know, like Democrat-run cities, urban areas, we draw attention away from the fact that voter suppression is a fundamentally racist project. You know, and as the article goes on, um, Vox recently noted, while the next big voting rights fight in Texas Uh, is this uh, GOP-controlled process that we just mentioned. Legislatures across the country are seizing on lies about widespread voter fraud that came out of the 2020 election to suppress the vote ahead of future contests. Georgia's restrictive new law is sparking national outrage, and Arizona is attempting to change the mail-in voting process in a now stalled election bill among such efforts. So, you know, as I said, the, the article cites that the majority of Harris County voters who used drive-through or 24-hour voting methods were people of color, according to a Texas Civil Rights Project study. What happens here in Texas is a warning shot to the rest of the country. Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo told the Times some provisions, like attempting to limit mail voting access, are direct extensions of Trump's unfounded fraud claims. Indeed, the Washington Post, Dave Weigel last week found several Republican candidates in Texas failing to acknowledge that President Biden beat former President Trump in a free and fair election. So... As I said, the battle lines, you know, have been laid out. You know, the, the initial salvos have been, you know, shot across the bow. Um, the article concludes, The bill in Texas, likewise, sets up opportunities to undermine election administration by giving poll watchers, quote, the ability not only to observe, but also to interfere with polling place procedures meant to ensure election integrity, close, quote. According to Hanson, who used public figures, I'm sorry, who urges public figures and companies speaking out against voter suppression to sound similar alarm at such, quote, election subversion tactics. Quote, the message needs to be that fair elections require not just voter access to the polls, he writes, but also procedures to ensure that the means of conducting the election are fair, auditable and verifiable. By representatives of both political parties and non-governmental organizations. So that's a little teaser on something we should keep an eye on for upcoming elections, uh, both local, state, and federal, uh, particularly you know, with the 2022 midterms uh, coming up in another 16 months or so. Uh, we should be looking out to see if uh, poll observers uh, are going to be, you know, trying to exercise an outsized amount of influence on how uh, elections uh, results are counted and tabulated in the local polling places throughout the states and throughout the country. So the question becomes, how, how do we process this? What does this mean for us, the, the, you know, the rank and file Americans, the voters, the electorate? Uh, It means that we have to pay very close attention to what our legislators are doing, both at the local state and the federal level, that has an impact on our ability to exercise our right to vote. And it should be noted that. You know, while we speak and while the media covers a lot of this from the standpoint of, you know, exclusion of, you know, disenfranchised voters and, you know, voters of color and so forth. This these laws apply to everybody. Uh, It is equally possible for these laws to be used to to disenfranchise majority voters as well. Uh, If we are are going to allow our elected officials to spin how our votes are cast where and when we can cast them and now with this you know the the poll watchers element added in how these votes are tabulated what that means is more and more we are going to see these fractured elections we're going to see the same type of you know multiple court challenges that we saw in the 2020 election and others and you know it is just going to further erode public conce- yeah public confidence. Excuse me, in our electoral process. Uh, as as I said a few few moments ago, you know we need to be on top of this. We need to be making sure that we are learning what's going on. You know what the plans are, who's executing those plans, and make sure that you know we are doing our part. Through our election process and through our communication process to let our elected officials know that, you know, this is not something that the overwhelming majority of Americans uh, approve of or want to happen in our electoral process. You know, it, it's clear that, you know, there are attacks on you know, voting access, uh, targeting certain groups uh, that goes without mm-hmm. saying. However, it needs to be also mentioned that it is not exclusively going to impact just, you know, as I said, disenfranchised voters, voters of color and poor people. This is going to impact how people in rural areas vote. This is definitely going to impact a broader segment of the populations in urban areas. Uh, and it is definitely going to have an impact on the shape and, and tenor of the political discussion that goes on in this country for years to come. You know, no one can argue that you know, America is a divided nation. You know, we, we talk red state, blue state un, un, until forever, uh, but we need to be looking at ways that we can turn these trends around. Uh, real progress happens when you know, people from both sides Come together. Uh, bipartisanship uh, is not an anomaly. It is something that is eminently doable, and our elected officials need to be, you know, re-informed, re-educated, or retold that our expectation of them is that they work to the benefit of all the American people, uh, not just a select few, not just you know a few with money not just a few with connection. And you know the, the sooner we can have that conversation with our elected officials, the sooner that change will come to our electoral process that ensures that every American who is eligible to vote has a fair and equal opportunity to exercise that voting franchise. Uh, right now, we are, are heading down a path Toward uh, a a very divided electorate, not just in terms of political party, but in terms of who can access, where they can access voting, when they can access voting, how they need to uh, prepare and what they need to do in order to vote. Uh, Voting should be really a, a relatively easy process, a fundamental process that we just do every you know every time there's an election uh it shouldn't be this long haggard rigmarole that we have to go through and then turn around and wait for you know innumerable court decisions to decide whether or not our our votes were counted were counted properly and our voices and our views were reflected we've got to make sure that you know our elected officials are, as we always say on this show, doing what we sent them there to do, or we need to let them know that we will be showing them the door at the next election. And we need to also make sure that you know, the people in charge of elections in our state, uh, as well as nationally, understand that there's an expectation as to what voting should be in this country. And they need to live up and own up to what that expectation is so a lot to think about a lot to consider Uh, dig into it do your homework do your diligence find out more Um, I've given you just a few articles there are a lot more out there that are discussing this topic from both sides of the spectrum Uh, take the time to go out find those articles read them and form your own opinions all right let's take our first break here Uh, You're listening to Fired Up Radio right here on WJMS.com. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break.
1: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. That means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot.
0: And welcome back. Welcome back to Fire It Up right here on WJMSradio.com. This is Steve. I host the show each week. So let's let's switch gears from our first segment. Uh, It's an article that I found in Slate online uh, that, uh really uh, engaged my interest uh, because of, you know, what we have seen over the past, you know, year or more um, with protests that have been going on in this country. And the article talks about why Republicans are passing laws protecting drivers who hit protesters. Uh, and again, this is from Slate. It's on their website. You can find it there. Uh, and it it starts with over the past 11 months of anti-racism protests demonstrators have had to protect themselves from police sometimes from white supremacists occasionally and from cars since the murder of George Floyd in May 2020 more than a hundred incidents of hostile drivers ramming into activists have been documented these assailants have included police officers Gun toters, and even in one instance, a Ku Klux Klan leader. Many, though many, though not all—excuse me—of these uh, aggressors were charged under local statutes. But now, a growing number of Republican state lawmakers are trying to ensure that, in the future, such vehicular attacks get a pass. Uh, the article starts uh, off and continues with uh, this past Monday. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed an anti-riot bill that allows harsher police crackdowns on demonstrators. An apparent response to the, quote, defund the police, quote, and Black Lives Matter movements. Uh, in, In a quote from DeSantis, he says, this bill actually prevents local governments from defunding law enforcement. A public gathering of three or more people can be classified as a, quote, riot, close quote, under the law, and anyone who willingly participates in such a gathering can be charged with a third-degree felony. Plus, participants in rallies that turn violent can also be charged with a third-degree felony, even if they had no involvement with the violence. Most jarring of all, the law grants civil immunity to drivers who ran ram into protesting crowds, and even injure or kill participants if they claim the protests made them concerned for their own well-being in the moment. And continues, uh, citing on Wednesday, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt uh, signed a bill that grants immunity to drivers who unintentionally hurt or kill protesters on public streets, should they claim they feared for their lives or attempted to escape the premises, and makes protesting by obstructing a public street itself a misdemeanor punishable by fines and or prison time. The act was initially introduced in response to an incident in May 2020 when a pickup truck rammed into a mass of people in Tulsa protesting Floyd's killing injuring three of them, one of whom was paralyzed from the waist down. The Tulsa County District Attorney's Office declined to press charges and suggested that the standing protesters were the real instigators and the driver was the victim. Though Oklahoma's bill is not nearly as elaborate as Florida's, it does go further in protecting protester-killing drivers by shielding them from even criminal charges. The article uh, speaks about these two laws are only the latest examples of anti-dissent legislation introduced by state-level Republican lawmakers across the country. According to the International Center for -for Not-for-Profit Law's U.S. Protest Law Tracker, 17 states have enacted a total of 30 anti-protest bills and executive orders prohibiting protests at fossil fuel facilities, expanding the definitions of the words incitement and riot, heightening requisite penalties, and granting state officials further power to crack down on grassroots demonstrations on both public and private property. South Dakota and Tennessee have had laws on the books since 2017 that allow those states to penalize conscientious objectors who obstruct traffic, but neither has gone so far as to protect belligerent drivers. Since 2016, hundreds of state laws cracking down on various forms of dissent have been proposed, and 45 states have tabled these proposals. 68 of these bills are currently pending. This is the largest number of concurrently considered anti-protest laws at any point in American history. Uh, you know, And the article goes on to talk about, you know, many more of these bills have been introduced since 2017, especially since last summer. That includes the subcategory of measures protecting drivers who hit protesters. After the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, in 2017, legislative proposals in Republican-led states to protect drivers from lawsuits brought by harmed demonstrators proliferated. And, as noted... Last year, the mass demonstrations against racism and police brutality following the murder of George Floyd has also brought out dozens of counter-protesting drivers who ran over protesters, in a few cases even killing them. In these rallies, often led by black activists, protesters have taken to streets and highways in symbolic and generally peaceful gestures, inconveniencing those who might otherwise ignore them and sometimes bringing attention to highways whose construction destroyed black American neighborhoods. These bills introduced in 2017 all faltered, but the idea has rebounded. Measures have been introduced in Iowa, Missouri, and Nevada, among other states, that would grant civil immunity to drivers who hit permitless protesters if the drivers are exercising, quote, due care, close quote. Prominent critics and legal experts argue that this will serve, that all this will serve to do is to throttle free speech rights and that it could, uh, uh, according to a statement from Alex Perine in New Republic, create a sort of Second Amendment for cars in order to intimidate and discourage Americans exercising their rights to protest on the streets. So, you know, it, it's it's. Stepping out of the article for a second, you know, the that last statement of, you know, this leading to a so-called Second Amendment for cars um, should be a cause for concern. If you think about how broadly the the gun Second Amendment, uh, the Second Amendment to the Constitution uh, has been used to drive uh, anti- uh, gun rights uh, protests and, and opposition to common sense, you know, gun laws in this country. Uh, it, it has become a rallying cry. It has become a, a manifesto for, you know, people who see any attempt to restrict any element of gun ownership as an attack on a constitutional right. Uh, if if we go down the same road with uh, a, a similar protection uh, for for automobiles, for cars uh, driven into crowds, um, my fear is, you know, we open a floodgates for a, a, a ton of retaliatory strikes, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, against protesters uh, by you know, so-called anti-protesters. Uh, you know it 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 could possibly lead us down a path of you know lawlessness and revenge action taking that can see you know many many people uh, hundreds you know if not perhaps thousands of people injured and killed you know each year uh, just through, Response by these individuals to their constitutionally protected right to assemble and protest and seek redress uh, of their government for for grievances, um, you know that's a dangerous slope that we we possibly could slide down. So you know the article continues and 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 con- concludes um, in some ways these laws are also land grabs marking off the places where civil dissenters don't belong. Oklahoma is slated to pass laws in addition to the driver immunity bill that would, according to the Oklahoman newspaper, uh, quote, allow localities to establish ordinances for c- citizens to paint blue lines on street as a show of support for law enforcement. close quote. An evident reference to the notorious thin blue line flag and make it illegal to post information about police officers online. The latter measure, as state Democrats noted, could unfairly target those who take photos of instances of police brutality, like the many bystanders who've recorded such instances on their cell phones in cities across the nation. So let's look at that for a second. So what, what that's saying is that you know in it would make it illegal for a private citizen standing on a public street to photograph you know a a police officer uh, beating a suspect or photograph uh, police shooting a suspect uh, or you know any any one of a number of, of the type of you know police instigated harassments that we've seen over the years uh, this, this is and should be a really huge red flag for all of us here in this country. Um, we, we have the right to photograph and take pictures of anything that happens on a public street. Uh, you know, If we are standing on a public sidewalk, we are absolutely allowed to photograph whatever is going on uh, around us. Uh, while you know protections extend to photographing on private property, um, you know this this law would make um, you know it, it, it you know a misdemeanor for protests to block or restrict traffic on public streets or highways, and it would also make it a uh, a a crime. It doesn't state whether it would be you know, misdemeanor, you know, what degree or anything, but would definitely criminalize the action of photographing, you know, for example, you know, police action in in the light of what uh, the Minneapolis police officer uh, who was convicted in the George Floyd killing. So, you know, it's, it's just we seem to be going down, as the article states, into this ever-growing morass of anti-dissent legislation. And, you know, it, it, it's being cited as a legacy of our year-long consideration of police brutality. Even more bills protecting drivers who strike demonstrators are in the works. Iowa is on the verge of passing its own. People, especially activists of color, will keep getting injured or even killed. Uh, what will happen if even more states Tell drivers they can ram, you know, whomever they want. You know this. This is crazy. This is this is a an overreaction and overreach um, of, of you know just our, our laws that we cannot allow to stand. Um, we we the people need to weigh in on these laws. Now you know if if you're in a protest and someone drives a, a vehicle into that protest uh, and then tries to claim that they were afraid for their lives, but the protest itself was deemed as peaceful, where's the threat? Where's the, you know, where's the, the re- reasoning for the, the perpetrator quote, defending themselves, close quote, with their vehicle against a, a crowd of people Uh, who were peacefully protesting. Um, How far of a stretch is to go from, you know, that type of scenario to where we get, you know, scenarios of, you know, people just taking it upon themselves to drive down a street or drive down a sidewalk. I recall an incident in New York City uh, a couple of years ago where someone uh, drove their truck down a sidewalk and killed, you know, four or five people, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, this is a very dangerous uh, precedent that we are looking toward uh, moving down. And, you know, the fact that it seeks to restrict the, the right we have to use our smartphones to record uh, images that we see occurring on a public street whether or not they involve police should be very troubling. Uh, it it is you know very much uh, one that you know I really uh, would you know I wouldn't bet against any of these laws winding up as a Supreme Court case uh, around you know some aspect of free speech uh, or First Amendment and. You know, it, it's, it's just a so slippery slope that these laws would take us down. You know, think about it this way. How many times have, have you seen in, in watching, watching the news or in the media where we've watched, uh, you know, in, in other countries, you know, whether it's North Korea, uh, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Russia, uh, you know, or any, any one of, of many uh, countries in the world where, you know, a, a protest, peaceful protest against, you know, a government policy or a government action uh, was, you know, put down through a violent uh, response by police or, you know, attackers from a, a uh, opposing faction. And we look at that and, and just, you know, are amazed that, you know, those kinds of actions can be allowed and tolerated in this day and age. Well, this law and these laws uh, could very much take America into that club. If, you know, the, the penalties for someone driving a truck or driving a car into a group of protesters uh, with no penalty, no punishment, no harm, no foul, in other words, uh, where's the the disincentive for someone to do that? Where is the the encouragement for obeying our laws and following our constitutional protected rights? Uh, where does that take us? Does that mean that you know the, the First Amendment no longer applies if people can be you know ruthlessly attacked uh, for the simple act of protesting? Uh, you know, we're in some strange territory. And it's something that, you know, we need to have public discussion on and public discourse on. And, you know, as I said, my fear is that if these laws, you know, go forward, and, you know, as these cases uh, come through the courts, you know, should the courts uphold the, the rights of the people who uh, committed the injuries, uh, over the the victims the people who were hit by the vehicle um, we're going to see just a tremendous amount of people using vehicles as another form of weapon you know it just just as deadly if, if not more so than the automatic weapons that we see used in, in some of these instances uh, it, it's going to make policing our our gatherings, our peaceful protests, much more difficult. It's going to make the, the jobs of police officers and law enforcement uh, much more difficult. Uh, it, it's going to bring, you know, how many, who knows how many cases into our legal system uh, where the, the arguments are going to have to be proven or disproven as to, you know, whether or not the, arg- the, the gathering was peaceful. Remember, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, signed a law that said a riot could be declared if 3 or more people gather. So, you know, in truth, you could be walking, you know, down the street from your from your workplace with, you know, 4 or 5 of your coworkers going to lunch, and if someone determines that you look like, you know, a riotous mob, uh, you could be subject to arrest. You know, it, it's it, it just there. If, if we bring these type of laws into being, the, the, the scope and reach of these laws uh, just seems to me to be nearly endless. You know, and, and again, you're in a group of people, uh, you know, you're on a tour, you're walking down a street. You know, it may be a group of, you know, visitors from another country who don't know the law and are walking down a street in in Florida. And, you know, someone may just, you know, decide those people look unruly. Uh, Maybe that's a riot and they call the cops. What what's going to happen? How are we how are we going to keep this these laws reasonable? Uh, how are we going to protect, you know, our liberties, our rights to, to gather our rights of expression, you know, our, our rights of, of free speech, you know, if it can just be determined that this is a, quote, illegal riot and, you know, police or other law enforcement can just come in and descend on these groups that are doing nothing other than peacefully protesting or peacefully trying to get a message out uh, and, you know, charge them with crimes. Uh, it, it, it really concerns me that this country is, is getting so conservative with a small c that, you know, these type of actions borderline on criminal activities. Um, you know, our, our country is, was founded in protest our country has thrived. All of the tremendous advancements in, in terms of the rights of people, civil rights, uh, social justice, and other elements have come in part through the act of people protesting and exercising their free speech uh, to, you know, to bring a point to public attention. I mean, it, it can be argued that you know, an an element of the uh, protesters that surrounded the Capitol on January sixth were doing nothing more than exercising their right to protest uh, what they perceived as an injustice. Now that's not support for what transpired on January sixth, but the the argument has been made that a, a large number, if not the majority, of people who Marched down to the Capitol were merely exercising their right to protest and injustice as they perceived it. Uh, now, that's separate from the group that that took it to, you know, a way deeper level by, you know, uh, breaking into the Capitol and assaulting and killing people and, you know, doing the damage and all of the things that we've seen. But the argument can be made and has been made that you know, the the lot of people who were outside of the building, who never went in, who were merely there voicing their their opinions through protest, uh, you know, what would happen to them under these laws? You know, under these laws, you know, they could all be rounded up and charged with, you know, whether it's misdemeanor or felony crimes. So, you know, it's, you know, it, it's... Like I said, it is such a slippery slope that these laws uh, look to take us down. We have to dig into them. We have to look at them deeper. We have to have conversations with our elected officials to get to the root of what the intent of these laws are, uh, what the the mechanism under which they they would be implemented, uh, what are the penalties? You know, uh, right now. You know, protesters get arrested all the time and usually are charged with, you know, some very low level misdemeanor, such as disorderly conduct or, you know, something like that. They pay a fine or they post, you know, a small bail and, you know, go about their day. Uh, What's going to happen when, you know, rallies like the Me Too movement? When you know rallies like the the movement started by the kids from Florida, you know the anti-gun movement. What happens when those are declared quote illegal close quote under these types of laws? Uh, you know what what is going to become of our right to free speech if in the exercise of that speech in, you know, groups larger, as example, in the state of Florida, than three people, uh, it, it becomes a crime, you know. So, you know, again, we need to be careful with what our legislators, state, federal, you know, local level, we need to be careful and keep an eye on what they are proposing, where these laws are coming from, what the intent is, what the mechanisms are. You know, this, this show is all about the political machine. Well, we need to really dig into this little piece of the political machine and find out, you know, exactly what's going on with it uh, and address it. In, and in no uncertain terms, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned that this could lead us down a a slope of attacks on you know some of our uh constitutionally guaranteed rights and um just something that we need to be aware of uh check into it do some homework on it uh if you're in the states that i've mentioned uh reach out to your legislators find out you know what this bill is about, get a copy of the bill, read it, make sure you understand, you know, what it is that your lawmakers are trying to accomplish. You know, it, it's part of what we always say, you know, you have to be informed, you have to get both sides, you have to, you know, listen to all points in the discussion, and then make your own decision as to, you know, what the truth is, and what you believe, and and take action accordingly. So, with that being said, you know, we'll, we'll close out the show for this week. Uh, I hope you found the information useful. If you have any comments or questions, please reach out. Send email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to get your opinions and your thoughts, uh, in particular, you know, on you know, these bills that I've, I've mentioned here. Uh, but on any subject, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to open a dialogue with you and, and discuss So that's going to do it. Please make sure as we're going forward, as always, uh, stay safe, wear your mask when you have to, stay socially distanced when you can, wash your hands, and when your opportunity comes, you know, actually the opportunity is now uh, all over the country. President Biden has opened up access to the vaccines for anyone. So, you know, make your appointment, uh, get your vaccine and help protect yourselves, your loved ones, your community, your state, and your country. That's going to wrap it up for this week. As always, I appreciate everyone uh, tuning in and listening. Uh, This is Steve. You've been listening to Fire It Up right here on WJMS Radio. And I look forward to talking to each and every one of you again in seven days.